0: Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. It's football and random things on a Monday morning. Presented as always by our friends at Wiffle Hybrids. When it comes to selecting your seed corn partner, you've got a choice to make. At Wiffle Hybrids, we've made a choice too. A choice to remain independent, a choice to remain farm family owned, a choice to stay American. So when it's your time to make a choice, make a statement. Let your independence plant wiffles jeff it's a good thing that uh wiffles didn't specifically sponsor victory mondays on football and random things uh, we would have made
1: very little money this year
0: yeah would have not been a very profitable deal for us uh here at uh, football and random things but i stayed with a 14 to 10 loss to texas tech saturday night names there is uh not much positive to take Man. away from this football game Uh, I would say his defense remains awesome. That is about the only thing that I think we can feel pretty good about coming out of that game.
1: Well, and the thing is, is like, they've, we've talked about how this team will find different ways to lose games. And this was a new one. We found a new way to, to, to not execute in situations where you need to. And as awesome as the defense has been, there's that drive where you got to get off the field at some point, you have to force a field goal at some point. And they didn't, which is kind of shocking. But the bigger story is the fact that Iowa state was one for five in scoring points in the red zone. And if you extend that out to the 30 yard line, I believe they were two for seven in scoring points inside the 30 yard line, which is is good in that they can move the ball and get down to that side of the field, which is something that we hadn't seen in previous games. So like they had figured out a little bit better on to operate, but on the other hand, insane frustration because you can't stall that consistently across an entire game with the, the, with what should be a a more talented roster than, I mean, tech defense is good, but not that much better. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's an execution thing. It's a confidence thing. It's a misunderstanding thing. I mean, I don't know what it is, but that is one for five in the red zone. And I think I, I, I haven't gone through the drive chart specifically, but I believe it's two for seven inside the 30.
0: So bad. It It's crazy. Bloom, I was, I did the Sunday night podcast with Bloom and he told me, or I mean, and he said, brought this back up. I think last year, Iowa State was 47 of 49 in the red zone. They had more failures in the red zone in one week than they did in the entire season last year. Yeah. You know, like that's what, and, and you talk about inventing new ways to lose. They are literally the first college football team since 20 or since 2000 to have over 420 yards of total offense, zero turnovers, score 10 or fewer points, and hold a team to 250 or fewer yards. It's the first team in in 22 years to do that in college football is Iowa State.
1: I thought your, your column after the game summarized it really well, which is why is there so much frustration? It's because you can see that they're not that far away but because you can see that you're not that far away, that's the bigger thing. That's annoying. It's not like you're getting killed. And I think the example that you used was you're the kid that goes to, you've been saving up, you've been saving up, you've been saving up to get to buy that new Xbox, and you have $399. Exactly. It's not like you have hundred dollars. You're trying to walk into the state, but then you forgot about sales tax and you forgot about a fee, like a transaction fee. And so you have $399, but the whole purchase price is 418 and you don't have that extra $18. And it's that there's still a deficiency, but then I think to build on that, it's that you did it and then you went back to the drawing board and you went back and worked a little bit and then you brought $416 in the purchase price is still $418, but you consistently are falling just short of the mark that is right there. And everybody can see that you're right there, but you're still not like, you're still not getting over the hump that you know is right there. That's the frustrating part.
0: And that's where I just, you know, people talk about firing coaches or like all these kinds of things. Like, I just, I don't know how you can watch some of these things and feel like you can justify not changing things, you know, or changing something like feel like you, you can't just feel like you can stand Pat because I just, because then you're Iowa, like, you know, and I don't mean that to say it in like a, a mean way, but it's like, what is I, the thing we've talked all year about with Iowa and Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz. I probably shouldn't have even been coming back this year to begin with, you know, Mm -hmm. then if you come back next season and you're the same thing, you're just setting yourself back further. You're knocking yourself even further off of the momentum that Iowa state football had, you know, and you, then you look at your defense, your defense is going to this other level of continuing to, continuing to improve and continuing to play championship level football. And there's no reason to believe, I think right now, based on what they've got in that defensive room, that that's not going to continue but when you look at this offense like there's a lot of pieces that were you know offensive line specifically there were a bunch of guys that have played a bunch of football for Iowa state on that offensive line Mm. and that group has been so inconsistent so Mm -hmm. inconsistent to the point that they moved jared hufford out of his natural position of left guard and moved him to left tackle for the last second to last game of the regular season And like, they're still mixing these things around and trying to move these things around. And it just, it doesn't make, it just, it doesn't give any level of confidence that you feel like, okay, well, if we just bring, run it back next year, bring the same people back, you bring back a lot of these same guys that you feel like you're close enough to like, okay, now we're going to make a leap, you know, Mm -hmm. like, there's just not much that gives me confidence right now about anything that Iowa state does offensively going into the off season.
1: So I agree in that you're at the point now where you can't not have a structural shift. What that structural shift is, I think is we still got to defer to the fact that this is really the first bad season that Mm -hmm. Matt Campbell's had really as a head coach, you know, like go back to his Toledo times, perhaps the first year that he was at Toledo. I don't recall exactly what it was, but I mean, he's been a head coach now for a decade plus and this is really the first one that's gone South when it, sh- when it really shouldn't have, you know, you can talk about last year and say, Oh, they are so bad. But last year's Iowa state team was like three plays away and some really bad bounces away from being exactly where you wanted to offense. If Iowa, set state's, records...
0: if Iowa state's team last year had all the same, had the same offense, but offense and special teams, and then had this year's defense, it'd be the number six team in the S and P the ESPN's S and P poll unreal number six in the country. And so if you, if you were to say, okay,
1: uh, how do you get back to that? And again, you, you got to default to the fact that Campbell probably has some, the Campbell staff generally probably has some idea on what to do, even though this is really the first time they've encountered this level of struggle over the course of a, of a year. Once the program has been established. So that begs the question, what is, the, the philosophical, what is the substantive shift? And I think it feels like, so if it's me, I don't know the inner dynamics and the inner workings of what the coaching staff is, the relationships are between there, because all this ultimately it's not as, it's not as easy as bringing a new guy and it works, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. and that's at any position at any quarterback coordinator uh, offensive line, offensive line coach, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's not just as simple as bringing a new guy and it works. It's that you have to have a professional competency, but in order for it to be successful, you also have to have a working and functional relationship with the rest of the staff. And so finding that person that does that is not it, it. That's what's harder. It's also not a guarantee to do that. So that's, that's number one. Number two is, it's a group of people working together to solve a problem is the problem, one of the people, or is the problem outside of the people? So is there is a solution? Does a solution exist that they are like maybe behind closed doors? They have, and I don't know exactly about this and just complete, absolute speculation or just like hypothetical situation. Let's say that there has been like the offensive line room. There's been fist fights in the offensive line room and they've been, they just really don't like each other. It's hard to coordinate, communicate. Maybe the, the that personality group, there's nothing you can do within that personality group to make them work together. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's probably not true, but I'm just using that as a random hypothetical example. And so, if you were to get rid of a person inside of the planning of that, does it make the problem better or does it not address the problem that's actually there? And so I, the, there has to be a substantive shift. So I think the thing that has to happen is you have to get your offensive personnel to be doing the things that they feel comfortable doing. And you look at a school like Tennessee or not Tennessee for uh, TCU from last year to this year, they bring in, Riley, Garrett Riley, who's the offense coordinator with Sonny Dykes. And they start putting guys like, uh, Kendrick, is it Kendrick Miller, the running back 33, they put Kendrick, yeah, Kendrick, 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 not Kendrick, Kendrick Miller. You put Kendrick Miller in situations where he's going to succeed. You start getting Quentin Johnson formation and Quentin Johnson to get one-on-ones and you let Duggan go do what he does. You start introducing running more to the offense. It's not trying to, to have him drop back and be a pocket passer 95 times. It's letting him go around and it's taking basically the same core guys and putting them in positions to succeed. And that one happened with an offensive staff change and whole, whole coaching staff change, but with an offensive staff change, but the personnel is largely the same. Now, there are other times where you have, you know, uprooting the whole system entirely, but keeping the staff in place where you look at when, like what Lincoln Riley had done when, Got rid of Spencer Rattler, or not Spencer Rattler. Got rid of guys like Jalen Hurts and and whatever. And you go from one year to the next. It's the same staff, but they turn over the offense completely to match what the guys are going to do. So it's able to be done with both the same coaching staff and a completely different coaching staff. So a philosophical change has to happen. I feel like that probably doesn't, I don't know if that needs to, for the actual philosophical, philosophical shift. I don't know if that part needs to involve Tom Manning, not being the head coach, but the perception of it, or being the, office of coordinator. It, being the yeah. offensive coordinator, excuse me, but the perception of it almost feels like it has to Yeah, at this point, because do I honestly think that he is the root of the problem? I don't think he's the root of the problem. I think he's part of it. I think, but there's way more other problems, but when enough of the people that are supporting the program, feel like it is then you either are going to put yourself in front of that guy and start taking the shots for him like Kirk is doing for Brian mm-hmm. of by not firing Brian Kirk is now taking the brunt of it i mean Brian is also taking the shots but like Kirk is now putting himself in the firing squad or you get rid of him and replace him with someone else whether internally or externally so it feels like there is there's a necessary philosophical shift and it kind of at this point feels like it will come with the coordinator change or Campbell either has to completely do a better job in messaging what the changes are are going to be because this whole offseason season ticket renewals have to happen and uh you know you have to recruit and you have to be able to sell that that things are going to get better and if you are going to keep manning around you got to sell the fact that things are going to change which i don't think that he has done he doesn't care to do is talk much about what's happening in there. So I don't know. It feels like this weird corner that the staff has sort of found themselves in.
0: Yeah. And I just, I I'm right there with you. I mean, you got to be able to sell people donating money to your collective, like to all those things, you know, and it would just be really hard. I think to, to justify to fans, like, yeah, we're just not going to try anything different, you know? And I don't know, like, I don't think they're going to take a transfer quarterback or like anything like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you kind of got the guys you're going to roll with, but you got to figure out a way to make them work, you know? And I just, I don't feel that this, this staff has talked so much about players formations place. I don't think that that's been represented on the field this year. Mm -hmm. I I feel like they've tried too hard to do things that they do not have the personnel to do you know, and you, they allow themselves to get pigeonholed into like, this is what we do and forgot about the player's formations place thing, because mm-hmm. I just don't think that with the personnel, they had the offense that they have been trying to run is what was going to be the best situation for them. You know? Yeah.
1: And I think the biggest example of that is Easton Dean yes. where players formations place Easton Dean is a, he's a decent receiving tight end. Now, granted he has, he has had more drops than you would really like to have him, have. But as far as getting to the right position, having the length and athleticism to do the things, you know, obviously Charlie Kohler is sort of the mold you're trying to find your way into. Um but he's turns a out dec- Charlie
0: Kohlers don't grow on trees.
1: Right. <laughs> Shocking. Uh but he is a decent player who can operate in that position. And Charlie was not often the attached downhand tight end meaning he just reaches over and touches the tackle and his hand is down and he's mushing people that was always chase allen which allowed charlie to be an off tight end which is more of a fullback blocking position but also then split out as a receiver and uh, operate more in a situation that lets him be the one of the primary targets in the route tree well they have Easton dean playing chase allen's position more often than they don't and I'm sure on film, when you go through it, there are, uh, there are more plays where he's succeeding than he's failing. Otherwise they wouldn't. I mean, you literally couldn't justify keeping him there to even your teammates. Like if he is getting toasted every play, it's not going to work. But the problem is, I think I mentioned it before where the statistics don't it's It was like, I was I think I was talking about like the PF, the, the PFF grades where they just give it a plus or a minus and gave wow. the example where On a a negative play, if all negatives are counted the same, then your goal as a driver to go from driving here to the grocery store, a negative is that you take a wrong turn, which counts the same as crashing into three oncoming cars and flipping your car. They're both negatives. One is clearly worse than the other, but by just having a plus minus thing. Now, the reason why I say that is because Easton Dean, when he makes mistakes, they're not take wrong turns. On the way to the grocery store to get a negative, they are really bad mistakes. They're huge mistakes. They're drops. They are. Uh, he's trying to solo block a defensive end, and he's laid off the ball and gives up a sack. Like there's stuff where he's getting ragdolled by a defensive end or things like that because he's not in a position to necessarily succeed. And so he might have more pluses than minuses, but the the weight of the minuses is huge. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the players, formations, plays thing. He shouldn't probably be the downhand tight end. They don't have that on the roster. Tyler Moore will probably grow into that. I give him another couple of years in the weight room. He'll probably end up being that. But he's not that position. Easton Dean isn't that. And so, like, by continuing to try and put him in that position, you are not enabling him to be the most successful that he can be. And that also then extends to the rest of the formation because. Stevo Klotz now has to come in or Steve O'Klotz Klotz has to come in and be the Charlie Allen or the, the, uh, Charlie Kolar position when he really is the Jared Russ position. And Jared Russ then has to be some version of another tight end that he's nor he is meant to be a fullback. And so like by having, by trying to pigeonhole everybody into playing this multiple fullback, multiple tight end set, you don't have the guys to do it. And so it feels like the order isn't players formations plays, it's formations plays players. And like, that's sort of the inverse of how they've been running things to this point. And I think nothing typifies that more than the trying to run downhill inside the five yard line and getting stuffed every single time.
0: Yeah. And I tweeted that out when it happened and I, that to me felt like Matt Campbell trying to prove a point or the staff in general the program trying to prove a point and they basically just proved that they were who we thought they are you know mm-hmm. like cuz they ran basically the same play three plays in a row yeah and then to and then to go for it again the next time when you've been stoned five times in a row inside the 5 yard line and then still go for it on fourth down and you get sacked instead of just taking points when there's like ton there's a lot of time left in the game you're down by four points. It's like, just take some, just take the three points. But then you mm-hmm. see like they have so little kick confidence in the kicking game that they can't kick a 18 yard field goal, you know? And so it's like, it, it just is, it's really frustrating. And I don't know what the answer would have been for this team because what have their, receiving group done to make you feel really confident that if Iowa state's like, yeah, we're going to spread this thing out, we're going to play five wide. We're going to all of a sudden just sling the ball all around the yard. Do you have any confidence that that would have worked any better?
1: Well, I think it's not necessarily the receiving group, that I would not have that much confidence. in. it's the fact that like there, there is a way to thread that needle. And I think having a really heavy personnel set requires if gyro Brock was still healthy or was healthy, basically at any point throughout the season, then that offense can maybe work. You have to have, again, I don't think the tight end, like Klotz and Russ can block. Like those two dudes are, they got like dogs. Like they can actually push people around. Dougs. Um, uh, And then Dean and Hanukkah are not that personality. They are more, they're the Charlie Kolar mold, where they can block if they have to, but they should be more spread out as wide receivers or as off tight ends. They're not in that position. But if you have Jirel Brock in there, then you can play Jared Russon as a, as a, you know, an off tight end. You have Xavier Hutchinson one-on-one and now defense is because he is a big physical back. You got to bring safeties and linebackers in the box. You have to trust it. And then you get more one-on-ones with, with Xavier Hutchinson, whatever, but he hasn't been healthy all season. So he hasn't been able to do that. And Cartavius Norton also, I think he sort of, feels like he tweaked his hamstring a little bit again in the second half of that game. Uh, on to against Texas tech that he can't really, he wasn't really able to do anything. So you're down to Eli Sanders trying to run a position that gyro Brock, who's 45 pounds heavier than he is and has four, four more years in the weight room. That's sort of where it is, but by threading the needle, like you have Xavier Hutchinson, Deshaun Haneke, the dude can play. Like he is a good wide receiver, like a wide receiving a receiving tight end. He is a good receiving threat. You have guys like Sean Shaw, Demetrius Stanley has been a little bit inconsistent. You have Jalen Knoll. you have guys that you can, that you could theoretically get to, but by having, if you're going to drop back five wide, you got to treat it like the, the Texas tech reads back in the day which are you're trying to get the ball out quickly on half field reads. You're getting it to this guy or this guy or run, or you're trying to get it to this guy or this guy or get rid of it. Like it's possible to do that. It's not, you don't have to become the 2001 St. Louis Rams in order to say that you're a shotgun team or a spread team. You can do it a little bit different way, but it feels like they, they have been in this sort of dichotomous position of either. We're going to open it up and throw it down the field. We're going to read four different reads. We're going to, the, the, have a a converted route combination where the Xavier Hutchinson, if he reads press, he's going to do this. If he reads off coverage, he's doing this or Jalen Null at the same time. If he reads man, we're going to do this. If he reads zone, they're going to do whatever. Like you can have all these, it's, it feels like if you're going to do it spread, they've done it four wide converted routes, whatever. And if they're going to run, they're going to run it out of three tight ends or two fullbacks and a tight end right. or whatever. And it, it, there is space in between there that they've not tried to find. Like, that's just, that's a, one of those things that like, yes, I do trust that if you were to spread it out more, it would probably be more effective because that's more the skill set of this team. What do you think's next for Hunter hundred Um, I hope for him because his problem is between the ears. And I don't mean that intellectually. Um, I think that as a, what are you seeing? And when you don't have confidence in what you're seeing, you can't have, you can't relax and go like, uh, I like golf examples a lot. And if you don't trust, if you're going into a golf tournament and one out of every three drives you hit, is a hard snap hook. And then you have to use that in a competition, like in actual It's a par five you have in order to to score or even par this hole, you've got to drive it. You can't reach for that driver because you don't have enough confidence in it to let your natural swing where two out of three times, it's a great drive, but one out of three times it's not. So you don't have the confidence to pull that thing out of the bag. So you can't actually let your natural talent operate because you don't have the confidence to know that it, that it will. And, for him i think a lot of it is just processing a lot of information fast and so it's kind of winnowing down what are you looking at like why are you looking at this why are you paying attention to this and just getting so you're comfortable with when things start flying around you know what's going on you look at max duggan i've already brought him up but you look at how does the game feel like it is going fast or slow for him Slow man, he is in control of everything mm-hmm. you watch him play and there is no moment. And like, I think there is one play where he, it was like a third and a 12 in that, which the Baylor, Texas, TCU game game of the year. So far, it was the Tennessee Alabama game. And that one are the two best games of the college football season so far that at least that I can remember. And so you have, there was, a, it was like a third and 11 or something like that. He needed to complete a pass. Baylor was bringing outside pressure and he just floated and floated and floated and floated kind of backpedaled a little bit and then just stuck his foot in the ground and threw a dart. That's Baylor bringing pressure and covering most of the routes. He knew that at some point, one of his receivers would come open across the middle. So he just was bleeding time and bleeding time, knowing that like this guy's going to come open. I'm going to find him at some point Hunter deckers in that situation is going to throw it immediately to a check down receiver, or he's going to try and tuck it and run up the field into the back of the center because he's not confident with what's going on because he's seeing all my receivers are covered. Uh Oh, I have to do something. And so it's just making sure that the game can slow down for him because if it can, he'll be fine. But like you have to actively go out and seek the capacity to slow that game down by understanding what you're looking at and simplifying your vision.
0: How do you feel going into Saturday? Um, <laughs> this is- conflicted?
1: Yeah. Uh I think I would speak for everybody in the fact that like had Iowa State won on Saturday and you're 5 and 6 going into the TCU game, that feels like a win-win, you know? Mm-hmm. Cuz if you win, you're 6 and 6, going to a bowl game for sure, and you depending on how everything finishes out, you have a couple really good wins on the schedule, and if you lose, TCU goes undefeated, Big 12 gets a, a really good shot at getting into the playoff cool, man. I'm good with either outcome. Now. I almost feel a little like I want, you remember in the incredibles at the very end, after they kind of go back to, uh, like real life after they save the world and dash is in that track meet and he's (laughs) running and looking up to the stands and they're like, get second, get second. And like, he slows down to get second in the race. That sort of was, that's sort of what I feel like is I want I kind of want TCU to win for the sake of the big 12, because it's honestly better for Iowa state if that happens, because then the conference looks better. The, you get more money because you're in the playoff. You, the, the brand reputation of one of the staying in big 12 programs is better. So then in the future, recruiting is easier. The competition is better. Like all of that stuff is better if TCU is really good. So it's better for Iowa state if TCU wins, but I don't want Iowa state to be embarrassed. So I want them to like, I want the game to go well, and Iowa State to look good and leave on it like a nice taste, but you lose like 27 to 23, like that TCU can still advance and be undefeated. Like that's, I don't know if anybody else feels the same way, but I feel a little bit conflicted about Saturday because yeah, ultimately it's better for the big 12 and everybody in it. If TCU is in the playoff.
0: Yeah. That's basically where I'm at right now. I mean, I do want to tip my cap to, to Max Duggan though. Cause man, Talk about a one year turnaround for that guy. Unreal. As good as as good as you're going to see in college football from one year to the next, you know. And that, was that guy not, be going to New York for the highlights he, ceremony? I
1: feel like not he probably doubt. he's in the he's on the sh- he's got to be on the short list now. Yeah. Especially with Hendon Hendon Hooker which is terrible that he has he got a knee injury in that game and so he's out for the year. So you really have and Corum is probably hurt and now granted he's playing the Ohio State or the team down South, mm-hmm. you're, they're playing them on Saturday. So if he can walk, he's going to play. So it's basically like CJ Stroud, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, and then Corum maybe. So like those guys are really, they are the ones that are the show and like Duggan came into the season on the pine, you know, right. like he wasn't expected to start. And now he is the guy. And that was, again, I mean, we, we can talk about TCU Baylor game that had to have been, I mean, that's his Heisman moment. You know a, re- he, a
0: replica Heisman trophy would look pretty dang good pretty dang good in the hallways of uh, Lewis Central High School let me tell you a, out there in Council Bluffs
1: but like his top two wide receivers are out his number 1 running back was out your season is on the line you have to come up with 8 points in 6 minutes plus like you have 8 minimum 8 points minimum in about 4 4 or 6 minutes and you have Seattle or like Apu uh, Ika. Yeah. Excuse me. You have Apu Ika. That's legitimately a top ten NFL draft pick. That is holding down everything in the front, and you have to go down and drive on the road after coming again or after beating Texas. You against have to one gather of your arch
0: rivals. And- yeah, against
1: one of your arch rivals. Yeah. absolutely insane. Like the guts and consistency that it took. And you see he like he had so much blood on his arms from just sliding and getting hit. I think he had like his elbow and his wrist were both bleeding by the time the game got done. Like warrior. That is nuts. That was a yeah. game of the year and like props to Duggan. So I'm yeah. Going Saturday. I want it to be a well-played game. I want everybody to get out healthy and I want, TCU to, to have a slight respectable wind for the betterment of the conference. We just hope everybody has a good time. We just hope everyone has fun. We just want everyone to enjoy a nice Saturday in Fort Worth.
0: I'm going to be, meanwhile, I'll be enjoying a nice Saturday in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, where I'll be locked in at the, at the civil war between Oregon and Oregon state on Saturday. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited, dude. They're rebuilding half of Research Stadium, so there's only going to be like 2,500 people there. 2,500, 25,000. 2,500. Really? Yeah, for a rivalry game. How'd you score a ticket to that then? Oh my god, got a cousin out there. that has got some connections, you know. Got a—he's hmm. a season ticket holder for the Oregon games, so I oh, think okay. he was able to wrangle them that way. But yeah, no, that'll be pretty cool. Uh, I don't, i don't know if I got anything else. Just get through this week and then we'll record next week. And I, I mean, I, again, like I said before, I just feel like it's hard to justify. there not being some significant changes made. Well, and
1: I think there sorta is going to be some self-selection of changes that happens and we'll get way more into this depending on what happens on Saturday, but it feels like there's going to be some self-selection of changes because if there's nothing else that the Campbell staff has done, it has been inconsistently protecting and building culture. Like that is the number one thing. And so if you have guys, which I would imagine, like not, I know for a fact, if you, if you look at the confidence level and the, and like the body language of this offensive group, that ain't a good culture in, on that side of the ball. And even in special teams, it's getting better. Like they have been other than the kicking, like actual field goal, kicking units, the coverage teams, the return teams, the. Tyler Perkins
0: is a dog bro. That yeah. Punter, and, yeah. That guy's going to be a dog. Yeah, And so you, the the
1: special teams units have been getting better outside of the field goal kicking. So like that's improving. And so you can tell there's that like, they kind of like each other and, and they're starting to feel confident with each other. The defense is obviously stellar, but if you look at the offensive room, it's the, the body language, the confidence, the whatever, that's not good. And that all kind of goes as, as part of culture. And because of that, there are people in there, who are being the seeds of discontent? Somebody, and whether it's a backup offensive lineman, whether it's a starter, whether it's a, a a person who is disgruntled that they got benched, whether it's whatever, I don't know who it is. And so, in the protecting of the culture, I guarantee you that there are going to be some situations where, uh, I think the Campbell staff meets with most of their players, like at the end of the year, yeah. of just like sitting down and actually talking. And in those conversations, there's going to be some hard like discussions of saying in order to be a functioning part of this team next year, your attitude must improve. If it doesn't, we will, you know, be trying to fight. Well, we'll, I will give you a recommendation to transfer anywhere you want, but if your attitude does not improve, if your cooperation, this team does not improve. If you're not willing to contribute this thing, we will not have you on the team anymore. You know, I I don't know if it's necessary. You're going to kick somebody off, but you know what I mean? Like the, the hard conversations that the people that are the seeds of discontent, are going to probably be looking to either transfer out or them looking to replace them or push a young guy to replace them or whatever, because I think culturally that's probably the, the fastest fix to improving is improve the belief of each other in that room. Because then the little mistakes don't happen as much. The, the trusting that if I get the ball on a third and one that I can I know that my block is th- that the blocks are going to be executed so I can actually trust, like I can go where I'm supposed to go. So I don't know. It feels like there is going to be some hard conversations had. And I don't, I I would imagine also with the coaching staff, but like with the coaching staff and players of saying, if you want to be a part of this group going forward, you are going to have to change to match this expectation. So I don't know who exactly those people are. We'll see in the off season. Um, but I don't know. We'll get through Saturday and see exactly what the, when there's nothing to play for who is going to show up, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what, what team shows up when there is nothing on the table anymore. This is the first time. It's really the first it's first time it's happened really ever. The last game of the year doesn't mean anything, you know? So we'll see what happens. All the chips are off the table. You're just playing for fun. Now. Who's
0: going to show up? Who's going to show up. All right, man. We'll talk to you. Uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks everybody for listening. Everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll talk to you again soon. Peace.